Okay, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Revelation. The last time we were here, we were in chapter 11 talking about the two witnesses who would be two Jewish men primarily sent on behalf of the Jews to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And these two witnesses will be, as, this, as their name speaks, witnesses to the Gentile world, also to the person of Jesus Christ, that Gentiles may also come to faith in Jesus Christ and they will be given authority and having miraculous powers to strike the world with all types of plagues. And you'll see that in chapter 11. But so now we move to chapter 12. And so as we and notice, there is a relationship with those two witnesses that I just told you about, two witnesses to the Jews, as well as to the nation of Israel. So as we are in the seventh trumpet, remember it is the seventh trumpet that leads to the seven bowl or vile judgments of God. And remember it's the seven vile judgments of God will be the most strictest of his judgments that we see in the, in the book of revelation. But nevertheless, as we are in the seventh trumpet preparing, not quite yet ready because all of these events are foretold, told to us within the seventh trumpet. So as we are in this trumpet preparing for the seven bold judgments, we are also given imagery of what is going to happen in Israel in the latter days. And so that's basically what we're going to see in chapter 12. We're going to have a preview, a preview in general. When I say preview in general, it means we're going to look at Israel as a whole and some of the things that are depicted in the nation of Israel that happened in her history as we move forward to the great tribulation to this particular time. So as we already know, we have already dealt with the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Remember the tribulation is seven years divided specifically into two, three and a half year periods, the first part three and a half. And that's where we saw those two witnesses. And then the latter, three and a half years. And that's when we will see the worst judgments of all. It is the latter three and a half years that is called the great tribulation. And that's why it's called the great tribulation, because this is when Jesus spoke that the tribulation will come to the world that has never happened ever in the history of the world. Okay. So we're looking at the history of Israel snapshot in general, and we're going to see that in the text as we move down to the specific period of the great tribulation. And now with that intro, let's start chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out being in labor in pain to give birth. Now, this is Israel, this woman that first speaks of a great sign in heaven. So now, although John is seeing these things in heaven itself, it is depicted as something that took place on the earth. Okay. So it is a sign. It is the sign of a woman. This particular woman is not the church. This is Israel. And you can see that by the imagery that's used in this particular verse, with the dream of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Remember, Joseph had this 
particular dream of the sun and the moon and, and the stars of heaven bowing down to him. So this similar depiction is being used here. So therefore it is clear that this woman is Israel and the child that she is in labor to have is Jesus. Jesus is that particular child in the sense. Now it is not, if you want to dig so much deeper into the specific woman itself. And when I say specific woman, it means even within Israel, even within Israel. Okay, fine. Mary, because we know that it is Mary who did give birth to Jesus, the child Jesus. Okay. But in, but in particular, nevertheless, this passage here is referring to Israel as we'll see later on as we move through the passage and we continue to talk about the woman. It is not talking about Mary, but it is talking about the Jewish people, Israel. Okay. And so with the idea of being clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, these are just simply statements of glory, glory, the glorious nation of Israel. And this is from the perspective of God. Okay. Remember that this is how God sees his people, even how God himself will one day clothe his people with glory. She was with child again, that is Jesus, the Messiah. And we're looking at the time in which we will see the birth of Jesus. So here we are not so much as notice. Remember what I told you earlier that in revelation chapter 12, we'll have certain snapshots of the history of Israel. So we're not, even though we are moving to the final years, those last three and a half years of the great tribulation, we're here taking a preview of shots in the past. You know, this happened a long time ago. Okay. And so at the birth of Jesus, we're talking about verse number three, another sign appeared in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads, 10 horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Now in verses three and four, we have clearly a depiction of Satan. And he is also given here as another heavenly sign. So, it, and, and as we say, a prophetic picture. We're not using the term prophetic now in this case as looking forward, but in the idea of looking backwards to the events that took place. And so we know that it was during the time in which Mary was preparing to give birth to Jesus that Satan used King Herod. He used Herod the Great. Remember when the Magoi, the wise men from the East, the Magoi came and, and, and looking for the birth of the child Jesus following the star that God had placed in the heavens to lead them to him. And so quite naturally, they went to the temple palace of Herod inquiring, thinking maybe he may be there. And so Herod inquired of his own wise men about when the child should be born. And we all know the events that took place that once the wise men, the Magoi did not return because Herod asked them return and tell me about the child because he was seeking to kill it. But nevertheless, we know that Herod sought, sought he killed all Jewish male babies two years and under. 
And that's when he killed those babies. Okay. So this is Satan in operation, the spiritual activity of Satan lashing out to destroy Jesus at birth. And while I'm here, I might as well tell you this. What is so important, not only in the destruction of Jesus, the, the reason why such things like destroy Jesus is so that he cannot fulfill the scripture so that Jesus cannot die on the cross. So that redemption, the redemption that God himself spoke of as early as Genesis three and 15, the seed of the woman that would bring restoration of all things. Okay. The reason why he does these things is because if Jesus is prevented from doing these things, scripture, scripture is prevented from being fulfilled. Then Satan's ultimate judgment can never take place. And therefore he will be allowed to reign in the heavenly places forever. He can never be judged. He can never be sentenced. And so that's why we see all of these types of events. Notice the destruction of Jesus. And, and for another example, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness is another. Remember ultimately what Satan said to him, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the earth because it's in my power authority to give them everything to keep Jesus from fulfilling the purpose of God, ultimately dying on the cross and even all scriptures. Why? So that if the scripture is nullified, the word of God is nullified and Satan can never be judged. Okay. So this is what's really going on in the spiritual realm that the scriptures is talking about here. So as the red dragging, this is a picture of Satan himself. And we'll talk about that even more so in chapter 13, having seven heads, seven horns. This speaks of the great kingdoms that Satan himself rules and reigns. This speaks of power and 10 horns speaks of power. And on his heads send seven diadems. These are crowns, ruling crowns or kings. Now we'll speak more about that in particular when we get to chapter 13, but nevertheless, even as chapter 12, which is where we are, would teach us that this dragon is Satan, the devil himself. Okay. So here's, we just have a picture of him and he, what is he doing? Verse number four tells us that he swept away a third of the stars. Remember in keeping with the interpretation in the book of revelation, stars is always symbolic of angels themselves. So therefore we see that it is Satan who drew away a third of the angels and the throwing them to the earth. These are the angels who followed Satan in his initial rebellion. So two thirds of God's angels, the angels that God created remain faithful to God while one third of the angels of God followed after Satan with his rebellion. And we see that in Ezekiel. Okay. But so nevertheless, we see his attempt, Satan's attempt to destroy notice to, to st he stood before the woman who was about to give birth and he desired to divide the child to kill Jesus at his birth. And so this is all of that, that I just explained. He used King Herod to tr attempt to kill Jesus before he could ever accomplish the things that God had determined for him. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, 
who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there so that there she would be nourished for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. OK, so nevertheless, we know as according to history, Satan failed in his attempt to destroy the child Jesus. And that's what we see in verse number five. So it was successful. Jesus came into the world. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And so and who is this child? That identification one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron that speaks of the intent of God that Jesus would rule in what we call, remember, the millennial kingdom. And once again, to refresh you, that is when Jesus returns in his second advent, that is after all of these events that are taking place after the tribulation, he returns, he sets up a kingdom and he rules that kingdom in an absolute way. That's why I use the terminology rod of iron. And we see that rule spoken of in Psalm 2. Okay. But ultimately what happened with Jesus in his lifetime after Jesus lived that life, righteous life, preached that gospel, got everything prepared for the gospel to go into all of the earth, died, paid for our sins on that cross. And three and a half, three days later, he rose from the dead. What happened after a period of about 40 days after the end of that, he was caught up into heaven. And we see that in the book of Acts. And there, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible teaches us that now he is sitting at the right hand of God. And that's what the end of verse number five is talking about. Her child was caught up. That is Jesus ascension into heaven, his bodily ascension. And now Jesus is at the right hand of God. And now we begin to move. Now we move back. It's like a, a sharp uh, retraction, almost a snapping back to the time of the tribulation. Remember the last. So now the preview concerning Israel over with. Now we concentrate back on the woman who is Israel and we snap back to this time in particular of the great tribulation. That is the final three and a half years. Remember, we've already had three and a half years already. We saw those prophets, the two witnesses that God had. Now, as we remember, the seventh trumpet opens up the seven bold judgments and we'll see the final three and a half years during this period. Okay. So here is where now we begin to concentrate what will be happening with Israel. That is in particular, the Jewish people, that means Jews, not the church is gone. We're not talking about Gentile saints because it's some gen, many Gentiles will be saved during the tribulation. Okay. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the Jews in particular, what will be happening with the Jewish people. And it is at this time, remember at the end of chapter 11, that the Jewish people have converted. They are now believers in Jesus. They are believers in the Messiahship of Jesus. Okay. And so now they are being persecuted by, by the dragon. That is by Satan himself using Satan himself, who will be using 
the person of the Antichrist because the Antichrist will have arisen to power at this time ruling over the world. And I don't want to get much into that. We'll talk about that even in greater detail in chapter 13. But nevertheless, Satan using the Antichrist, just like he used Herod. But this time, the Antichrist is the son of Satan, the literal son of Satan, whom Satan infuses with his power and authority. We'll see that also in chapter 13. Okay. And he will use this one. Remember, it is the Antichrist that we just saw infused with the power of Satan who has destroyed the two witnesses. These two witnesses of chapter 11 that no man could destroy or else the two witnesses themselves would kill such ones with fire that came from their mouths. Remember that? But nevertheless, the beast that comes from the sea, the Antichrist, will be empowered with the power of Satan to kill the two witnesses. And now we see the Antichrist spiritually behind the scenes. Satan himself is now pursuing the Jewish people during the great tribulation to kill her. And this is what we see in verse number six. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. So now we're in the final three and a half years, the persecution of the Jews by Satan slash by the Antichrist. Now she goes into this wilderness. We know this would be the mountainous area, mountainous wilderness, same idea that Jesus spoke of in the book of Matthew in the gospels. When Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet flee. And this, this is the particular period when the temple will be built in Jerusalem. Once again, the temple will be standing during the time of the tribulation. It will be during the first three and a half years. Thing will be thing. All things will be all right. Things will be okay with the Jewish people, but it'll be during the final three and a half years, the beginning of that period when the antichrist himself will come into the temple and declare that he is God and demand that the world worship him as God. And we'll see an unveloping of all of that in chapter 13. And that's when he causes all the world to worship him, the mark of the beast and things of that nature again in chapter 13. Okay. But for right now, you see the antichrist as he pursues the Jewish people in his attempt by he's led by Satan to destroy, to kill them all. Okay. And that's what's going on. But nevertheless, God protects the Jewish people. And remember the point that I was bringing, Jesus said, flee to the mountains. And we believe this particular era to be what is called present day Petra, the mountains of Petra. Okay. In the region of Petra. And notice it says for a particular period of time, the, until the time that Jesus should come back, and save them. Now I know I'm a little premature, but that's actually revelation 19. Okay. So till Jesus would come back and deliver the Jewish people from the wrath of the antichrist and Satan himself. But, and how long would this will be? Notice 1,260 days. This is for notice 1,260 days is the same as 42 months is the exact same as three and a half Jewish years. So therefore it is for this final act in the great 
tribulation that we are seeing when Israel will go flee, flee from the persecution of the Antichrist, from the attempts to be destroyed by Satan himself into the mountains of Petra, we believe, where God himself will provide supernatural provision. Notice what it says, she will be nourished. The supernatural provision in the same way, just recall when Israel came out of Egypt, how God protected them. Remember, he protected them from Pharaoh with the cloud of fire that kept the Egyptian army away from the Israelite people. He protected the Jewish people by opening up the Red Sea, allowing them to cross over on dry land when their enemies, the Egyptians, were drowned. How when they came into the wilderness as they were journeying all the way up to and towards Mount Sinai, how God for those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness gave and provided for them manna, food, and he provided water for the great congregation of Israel. So all of this is encapsulated in that idea that while she is in Petra, and this is where we believe she will be, that God will do the same as he once did in times past, he will provide for her. And what would he provide? How long will he provide for the nation, the Jewish people for the remainder of the tribulation period, the final three and one half years, 1,260 days. Okay. Now let's continue. Also during this particular time, and we're looking at time specific events as we are now in the at the beginning at the beginning of the final three and one half years of the tribulation period or we're at the beginning we're getting ready to enter the beginning of the great tribulation okay verse number seven other events that will be taking place at that time and there was war in heaven michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough there, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, notice, the dragon, the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay, so now let's talk about that. So we know here, what is being depicted, that at the beginning, near the beginning of the final three and one half years, the great tribulation, there will be a heavenly war. Now notice a war in heaven with Michael and his angels. Remember, Michael is the archangel, which simply means the chief angel, the ruling of the angels. Remember the scriptures basically portray three different types of angels, the highest order of angels, the cherubim. Okay. And we'll see, we see cherubim around the throne of God. That's depicted in Ezekiel as well. They're the angels that we see the four living creatures. They are cherubims. And we also know that there are seraphim. These simply mean these are burning ones. Okay. And we see these angels also stand in the presence of God. We see that in Ezekiel chapter six, when the Bible talks about seraphim. And then there are the messenger angels. And these are the angels, the messenger angels that serve humanity. 
They serve us, okay? And Michael is the chief of all of those angels. And there are an innumerable number of angels. But nevertheless, as we talked earlier in chapter 12, Satan drew one third of those angels. And now we have the one third of Satan's angel fighting in the heavenlies. And this is, this is not something that mankind will see because the angels, as we know, have to make themselves visible for us to see. But nevertheless, they exist and they exist in our plane and dimension, but we just don't see them. So this war that's taking place in heaven is not shown that men will be able to observe it, but nevertheless, it is a war that is in reality taking place all the same. So there's a war. Michael leads the angels, the messenger angels against Satan and his angels. That's what we see in verse number seven. And verse number eight tells us Satan was not able to overpower Michael and his angels. They weren't strong enough. But notice there is a specific statement. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Now, there are two ways to look at this statement. Both are correct. So allow me to begin to explain it. No longer a place for them in heaven. Now, that means that there is no longer a place. Okay, let me make a pause once again. The angels here are Satan's angels to whom there is no longer a place for in the heavens that is referring to because they lost the war. And the heavens here that the reference is, the heaven here that is referenced here is to the heavenly places in the, in the earth's atmosphere. Notice what I said, the earth's atmosphere. And this is when Paul talks in the book of Ephesians chapter six, when he talks about our war, our war, our battle, our contention is not with flesh and blood. That's mankind. So the ultimate thing that we're fighting against, and it can seem like it's people, he's but ultimately it's the spiritual forces behind them. That is the demon spirit. The demons, again, remember demons are nothing more than angels of Satan, fallen angels, fallen angels, demons, same thing. Okay. And so here is these fallen angels here that Paul in Ephesians six refers to as the rulers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. See it now? Notice the terminology. There is no longer a place found for them in the heavens. So therefore in the earthly atmosphere in which these and demon angelic spirits dwell, these fallen angels who just lost the war with Michael, they are now cast down to the earth, to the literal earth itself. Their domain in the heavenly places, they no longer have that. So that's what we're having. Okay. So that's what it means that they're no longer a place for them in the heaven. Now, remember I said that the heavens has another meaning too. I don't want to get into that right now because as we move through the scriptures in this chapter, so that means I'm going to cover it. You're going to also see where that there is no place found for them in the heavens in particular has another meaning as well. Okay. We'll talk about that. So let me just move. And so it says, and the great dragon was thrown down 
the serpent of old. Notice we started again early in chapter 12 talking about the sign of the dragon. And who is that great dragon? It says specifically who he is. Who is he? The serpent of old. It takes our mind all the way back to what? The book of Genesis. And it also gives us insight. I would love to get into that right now, but I just can't not teaching revelation. But it also gives us an insight when we look at the serpent who tempted the woman, who tempted Eve in the garden, he himself was indwelled by Satan. He permitted that. So nevertheless, the serpent of old, that's why that language is used. The one who is called the devil and Satan, the, the adversary. That's what Satan literally means, the adversary. And so it clearly identifies the dragon of 12, uh, verse number two, I believe it was, the dragon of this chapter to be Satan himself. Satan, therefore, coming, notice, desiring to kill the, ch the woman with the child, that is Jesus, the one who is persecuting the woman, Israel, the Jewish people themselves, right? But let's just go into the text. Who deceives the whole world, and that's nothing new for us because we know that Satan is a liar and a deceiver. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So once again, notice, now Satan himself as an evil angel, Satan himself as a cherubim, by the way, we see that in the book of Ezekiel. But nevertheless, Satan is cast down to the earth. He no longer has, notice, the ability to be in the heavenly places like he once was. He and all the angels that followed him are again thrown down to the earth. And remember, the earth is a specific place where we, mankind, dwell. And we'll talk about that as we move through this particular text. Okay? So now we see these demonic spirits, now bad angels, are now cast down to the earth amongst mankind. They are among us. And that's why the scriptures are going to talk about something in particular. No longer are they having access in the heavens, but they are amongst mankind in a unique way that they never really were. Now, it does not mean that they have not been able to infect mankind. In other words, to possess men. You see that all in the New Testament, how men were inhabited with evil spirits, how the devil would possess. Satan himself possessed Judas. We also saw demons. Remember the legion that possessed the men in the tomb. Remember that? So they, that's not what it's talking about. It's speaking of domain where they are permanently residing. That's the idea, all right? And they are now thrown down to the earth. So because that their access in the heavenly places, that is in the earthly atmosphere, the earthly atmosphere and, and something else, now that's what I'm gonna talk about now, what that heavenly thing in the second part means, the second part of that, okay? But because of that, they have lost that great heavenly battle with Michael and his angel cast down and certain other things too. We're told there is rejoicing by the angels of God in heaven that Satan did kicked his tail out. What happens? Now we move to verse number 10. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So now that's what we got to talk about. So watch this. So now here is the praise that breaks out in heaven. It's a song. This is a song. Okay. And they say salvation and power and kingdom of our God and authority of, of his Christ has come. So in other words, they're praising God because they know when this particular event, Satan loses this war, takes place. It will not be long before the time will come when Jesus will return to the earth and reign in the earth. That, that is, again, the millennial kingdom. Okay. And so they're looking, not looking forward to this time because they know with this event, they're simply saying it won't be long now. Now, notice what they call Satan. And here's something we have to notice. The accuser of our brethren who has been thrown down that uh, notice the accuser. This is one who is particular Satan himself. Satan is the great accuser because that's what they're talking about. Accuser of the brethren. And that is notice what these are. This is the voice of the angels. Okay. Their brethren. That's us whom they're depicted. The saints, the saints. Okay. That's the, that's the church. That's the church. And notice what it says. He accuses them before our God day and night. So let me break this down so you can understand it really good. Satan still has right now. He is a bad man. He's <laughs> angel. He's a very bad guy, but nevertheless, and he has caused rebellion in heaven. He has caused problems there. He has caused rebellion on earth. You know, the temple of heaven has been defiled. That's why Jesus had to return to heaven with his blood. We see that in the book of Hebrews and I don't want to get into that, but in the book of Hebrews, he returns to heaven with his blood to cleanse the temple of heaven. Okay. Earth itself. We see that in the great destruction of earth in verse Genesis one and two, when the earth is tohu and bohu, we say in, in English void and without form. It's because Satan has led a rebellion in the earth, the earth that Satan once ruled. So he's a very bad guy, but nevertheless, in all of those things, God has still allowed Satan access in heaven itself before the throne of God. He could literally go there. And it seems, it seems he went at will. Notice what the scripture says, day and night. So this was a constant thing that Satan did. And what did he do? He accused the brethren. In, in other words, that is, say for instance, I am a saint of God, me. My name is Eric Lee. I'm a saint of God. I love Jesus. And I'm a saint of God because I have faith in Jesus alone. Died for my sins. He rose from the dead. But there are times I don't do the things that are pleasing to God. 
There are times and this grace that God has bestowed upon me. You know, it's a wonderful grace of salvation that Jesus had come and took flesh and died on the cross. Rose wonderful gifts that God has given me the gift of salvation and of his love and his peace and of the kingdom of our dear of, of Jesus. All of those wonderful things. Right. And all that God has done for me, according to his grace. No, that's why I keep saying grace. I don't warrant it. But sometimes I don't do the things that are pleasing to God. I don't act. And I, and it's, it's true. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. And that's we do sin. And we have to ask God for repentance. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Satan and his angels are watching. They're watching our conduct. And so, you know what he does? He runs to God in his face and uh, look at him. You did all of this for him. You, and you, Jesus did all of that for him. And look at how, look at how he doing. Look at how he, he, he didn't do that right. And he didn't do that right. And so he constantly throws into God's face the failures of God's people. And that's what he's talking about. He accuses them before our God day and night. And for this reason, because we know that Satan is constantly accusing us, all God's people in front of God said, they don't deserve none of your mercy. They don't deserve none of your grace. That's what he's doing. Because of that, we should always strive to live in a way that's pleasing to God. We should always try to do the things that makes God happy to muzzle Satan's mouth. So that he can't try to throw all of this God's goodness and grace to us back in God's face. Okay. But nevertheless, and also too, since I'm here, we see this same idea of Satan having access to God in the book of Job. Remember the Bible talks about there were certain days when the sons of God, these are the good angels. Sons of God are good angels here. When the sons of God would present themselves before God, and guess who the Bible said walked right in there in the middle of that amongst them, Satan. So again, it simply goes to prove the point how Satan even now has access into heaven. All right. But it is during the first part at the beginning, as we get ready, deal with the tribulation, the mid part, mid part. That means going into the great tribulation, war in heaven. And after he loses this war, God tells him, you can no longer come up here in my face. You are now condemned to walk the earth and this will be your place. Never again in the heavenly places of the earth, never allowed access into heaven itself before the throne of God condemned for the remainder of the three and a half years to walk the earth. Okay. And so because of that, let's continue the, the praise that we have in this section. The accuser of the brethren, that is the saints, the church saints, that's us, right? But notice he accused. It never said that he lied about those. And he is a liar and the father of lies, but it's, it's usually for him to try to lie to God in that sense. That's ridiculous, right? So his accusations, according to what we did, that's true. We failed God, right? But notice, even though it is not because of our works, how wonderful we were, how wonderful a life that we lived, that we were able to have victory. Verse number 11 says what? 
They overcame the saints of God because of the blood of the lamb. In other words, it is always because of Jesus. It is always because of his great sacrifice on the cross. That and that alone, let me scream that to the heavens itself. I don't want to hear or talk about nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the reason why we have overcome all things because we have faith in Jesus and his works alone, not in ours. Okay. But nevertheless, and so, and because of the word of that testimony, that's what I just did. I just gave you the word of my testimony, my faith in Jesus alone. And that allows me to conquer all things and to stand before God and not be ashamed. Why? Because I'm clothed in Christ Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's always faith in Jesus alone. It's never you are right or acceptable to God by what you do. It is only you only overcome by having the faith of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's it. Okay. And then even so they did not love their life even when faced with death. And it's simply saying, and they held to this testimony that Jesus is Messiah. Because remember the whole point is the antichrist will rise up as a false Messiah, but they won't accept that. They're going to say, no, Jesus is Messiah. And remember revelation 13, if you do not hold that the antichrist is God, you'll see that premature, but nevertheless, so you'll understand it. You will be put to death and these will hold to Jesus is Messiah and Jesus alone. And they will pay for it with their lives. And therefore you will see praise in heaven because all of the works of Satan, it failed. And the saints of God, those who were truly saints held to the testimony that Jesus alone is Lord. Okay. And so he finishes and says concerning the praise, let's finish the praise section for this reason. Rejoice in heaven and those of you who dwell in them. Now, I don't want to get too much into this. Okay. But notice we're continuing with the rejoicing of those who are in heaven. That is all the inhabitants of heaven. But I believe that it is particular the saints of God, because notice we're talking about those who died. So we're not talking about the angels who are in heaven, but those who gave up their lives, holding faithful to the testimony of Jesus. Remember those who were being accused by Satan, you rejoice. So there's praise of the saints who died. So there'll be saints in heaven, those who were in the rapture. And we don't have time to get into all of that. They've already been raptured in the church and those saints, those saints who died during the tribulation being persecuted by the antichrist. Okay. So those humans, in heaven are said are commanded to rejoice at these particular events. All right. But the point is those who dwell in heaven. So I wasn't supposed to make a big deal out of it, but so the dwelling is the word skenuntes, skenuntes, which comes from skenao, which means to tabernacle. Now we see that same word being used in John chapter one, when it talked about when Jesus took a body of flesh, and dwelled among us. Tabernacle. That's the idea. 
which gives the which takes us back. That's why I keep using the term idea to the the tabernacle of God in the wilderness. Remember when God commanded Moses, Exodus 25 through 40, to build the tabernacle. And this served to indicate the presence of God. Okay. But the idea is as the tabernacle indicated God's presence later to indicate the presence of Jesus himself in the world. But, but notice he was only in the world. Here's my major point. Here's my major point for a short period of time, 33 and a half years. And then he ascended into heaven. So, the idea of tabernacling, tabernacling <laughs> is to, is temporary. And that's what I mean. It's temporary. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. It's temporary. So my whole point that I'm trying to say is those who dwell in heaven, I think that this is an indication. The people who are in heaven, you're not going to be in heaven forever. You'll be in heaven temporarily. You know, it is a common thing. So let me make the aside since I'm here. So you guys will understand it. It is a common assumption that when we die, people of God, we go to heaven and we remain forever. There is absolutely not a single scripture that will say that. The Bible says that when we die, we will be with Jesus forever. But Jesus himself will not remain in heaven forever. He is in heaven now. He's been there for 2000 years since his ascension. OK, but as we are dealing with revelation, we will see in chapter 19, Jesus will come down, come back from heaven. And remember, even in the book of Acts, the angel said unto the men, you men of Galilee who are watching this Jesus ascend into heaven, he will come back from heaven and the saints will come back with him. So we will never be in heaven forever. And then even at the end of Revelation, we will find out that even heaven itself will come back down to the new earth. Okay. So we'll never be in heaven permanently. So all I was simply saying was, and this becomes an elusive piece of evidence in the word that I use. And I'm not taking a strong, strong, strong position on it, but I think it speak to that matter. And the principles that I just gave you are sound and correct. So that, the saints of God, the saints of God who are in heaven will not be there. It's just a temporary place until we come back for God to complete the fulfilling of his will. The millennial kingdom that Jesus will rule and reign Psalm two for a thousand years, Revelation chapter 20. And then after at the end of the millennial kingdom, first Corinthians 15, when Jesus returns all authority to God, the father, God creates a new heaven and new earth revelation chapter 21. And then we step into eternity itself. Okay. But nevertheless, I shouldn't have been there, but notice Satan is now. So let's get back, moving back to the tribulation where we're supposed to be. He is here. Remember I told you he lost his domain in the heavenly places as well as access into the heaven of God himself. And so now because his domain is now the physical earth where we dwell. Now we hear the rest of it. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you. See now the devil is here on earth without that. Remember Paul in Ephesians chapter six, uh, uh, that our battle 
Our war is with spiritual wickedness, rulers and the principalities, authorities in the heavenly places. Right now, no longer in the heavenly places. Those jokers, the devil and his angels are running rapid on the earth. And what has he done? Notice having great wrath. He is really angry because he has lost the war. Why? Knowing that he has only a short time. And what does it mean? Notice three and one half years is only a little bit of time. It's a short time. So the devil now knows because he has lost this strategic event, the great war in the heaven that, and, and no, notice how this works with the great tribulation three and a half years. He knows that he only has a short time before Jesus comes back. And then we'll find out also in revelation chapter 20, a premature again, but so that you'll get it, that Satan will be entrapped during the entire millennial kingdom into the great abyss. He will be kept bound there. Okay. And then after that, he'll be released just for a little while. And then finally, Satan himself will be cast into the lake of fire. So that's, so all of these events and, and Satan himself will go through a lot of hardship and he knows that. And so he is now moving amongst mankind in particular. He wants to kill the Jews. Remember the idea that we started with to kill the Jews is to prevent the scripture from being fulfilled. And if scripture, God's word cannot be fulfilled, Satan remains free. Okay. Knowing that he has a short time. And so that's where we stop on that issue. So now let's prepare to continue the next section. Now that Satan is on the earth, that is now his domain on the earth. Okay. Running around. Remember the idea of Satan basically is always the same. He walks about the earth seeking whom he may destroy. And so now his intent to destroy is more focused on a particular group of people, namely the Jewish people that we just talked about earlier in chapter 12 is the woman representing the Jewish people. Okay. And remember the whole idea again, destroy the Jewish people. Okay. Why? Just in case you wonder why destroying the Jewish people. When we look at the word of God, even from the time of Abraham, what do we see? God calling Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, to give Abraham and his people a particular land, the land of Israel. Okay. But if you can eradicate the Jewish people, if you can eradicate them, kill them, then the idea is there is no people who can inherit the promises of God, the promised land. And this is the idea. And Satan has always been determined to try to kill the Jewish people. We see that even in the Old Testament, remember that in the book of Esther that we see, remember Haman and Haman's attempt to kill all the Jews. Remember that all because Mordecai, the uncle of Esther refused to give him honor and bow to him. But the whole point is this, he was empowered and not just simply empowered, but influenced by demonic spirits. Notice to destroy, to kill all the Jewish people. So that's the whole idea. Okay. So this is what's going to take place with Satan 
as we are now entering the great tribulation, he now seeks to destroy these Jews who remain. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened his mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony to the testimony of Jesus. Okay. So as I just said, now we're looking, remember letter three and a half, Satan is now what on the earth. He is not, he knows his time is short. He's concentrating specifically on the Jews who remain alive and his determination. And I've explained why his determination, kill them all. In other words, he will empower and influence his son. Satan will influence his son, who is the Antichrist. You'll see that in chapter 13. Empower and influence him. Kill all the Jews. Okay? And this is, matter of fact, since I'm in that. So this is what we see happening. When Jesus talks to the Jewish people in the book of Matthew, we'll see that in the Gospels. Okay? And talks about the abomination of desolation. Right? When the Antichrist himself stands in the temple and declares himself to be God and declares that all should worship him as God. Okay. And that's predominantly the worshiping of him of him as God. That's predominantly for the Gentile world. But as for the Jewish people, he will concentrate on the killing and annihilation of them. So he's not so much concerned about their worship. He wants to annihilate them because he is being influenced by the dragon, Satan, the devil, his father to do so. Right. And this is what we see that's taking place. The dragon, Satan, he's in, he's influencing the Antichrist to destroy the woman. That is, remember, Israel, the one who gave birth to Jesus. That's the idea. So we're still with that same context. And remember, we talked about earlier how that God protected the Israelite people in ancient times. So we have a same reference to that idea in verse number 14, when it talks about the two wings of a great eagle. Now, this is simply a metaphor that they are using, which is simply using descriptive language to speak about how God cared for and provided for his people. As we talked about all of this earlier. Okay. And remember, the whole thing about coming out of Israel, coming out of Egypt and coming through the Red Sea and giving them manna from heaven and giving them water in the desert. He spoke of that in Exodus. I believe it was chapter 19. He used this identical language, how that I bore you on wings of an eagle. So this is the same idea, provision of God for the Jewish people 
who are escaping for their lives, we believe in the region of Petra, okay? And they are being protected by God from the Antichrist in the same way that God protected his people from Pharaoh. All right, to the wilderness, to her place. That is the idea of the Petra thing, right? Where she was nourished, nourished, provided for, same idea, provided for and protected for a time, times, and half a time. A time is a year, times two years, half a time, half a year. So we have three and a half years. And notice all of the dates coincide, right? 1,260 days, three and one half years, 42 months, time times half a time, three and one half years. So it just simply speaks, God will pr protect and provide for the remainder of the Jews who survived this thing for three and a half years. Just, just for your information, because we already know that two thirds of the Jewish people will be killed during the tribulation. So two thirds of them will die, but God will protect those one third and keep them and inclusive in the one third of the Jewish people who will survive and God will provide for is that 144,000 spoken earlier in the book of Revelation. Remember the 144,000 from 12 tribes who will be evangelists in the Jewish and Gentile world during that time. Okay. So these are protected during that time. And it says in verse number 15, how the serpent poured out water. It, this just speaks of things like, I don't want to use the term war, but that's the, basically the idea, the attempts to constantly destroy them. And so it gives the idea of you notice like water, pouring out and in, in a flood trying to overtake. This is the idea of war and the continual attacks of Satan slash remember he is empowering the antichrist. So as the antichrist is lashing out, trying to destroy the remainder of the Jews. Okay. That he is doing this after the woman, the Jews, to, that, to cause her to be swept away. That is, now do you see it? To annihilate all of the Jews. He wants to kill the woman, Israel, all of them. And we already told you why. But what happened? Remember the, the nourishment of God, God's supernatural protection. The earth helped the woman. So in some supernatural way, no, and it is, it is unique that it said the earth. Note that what manna that God had given from heaven to fall to the earth. And there was water that came from the rocks. So the earth, that so it speaks of something supernatural that God is going to do to protect the Jewish people from all of the, 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 the attacks of the antichrist and, and whatever it, whatever will happen at that particular time, notice the earth swallowing up the water, the attacks will come to the Jewish people, but some supernatural event from God will come and just absorb it and take it away. So they just survive supernaturally. And that's the idea. And so what happened? The antichrist lashing out at the Jewish people. 
idea we believe in Petra. Jesus said, flee to the mountains in that area, lashing out to try to kill them. All of his efforts, whatever those attacks may be, fail. And that's amazing when you think about it. When you think about all the stuff that we can do, like safe like shooting missiles and things like that, whatever, it doesn't matter. It will supernaturally somehow failed. And so now the dragon, remember the antichrist, the dragon, Satan himself, empowers the antichrist. You'll see it in Revelation 13. What happened? Could not kill the Jewish people, enraged with the woman, went off to make war with the rest of her children. He couldn't kill them, so he just, so the Antichrist will give up on trying to kill those in Petra, and he will try to find Jews in other parts of the world, okay? Jews in other parts of the world, because remember, the Jewish people are scattered throughout the whole world. They're everywhere in the world, okay? And I don't believe that this, the rest of the children here is referring to Gentiles because the whole context has been about the woman, Israel. So therefore, the rest of her children will be those Jews who are not in Israel at the time that the Antichrist comes into the temple, declares himself to be God, and then seeks to kill all of the Jews who have, fle who have fleed, uh, I hope I'm using that verb correct, into the mountains of Petra. So Jews who remain in the world are not being sought out. So he's said, I couldn't kill them. The Jews in Petra, they're protected in that mountain. But the Jews in the rest of the world, I will kill them. And that's what it means. The rest of our children who keep the commandments of God, those Jews who are now believers that Jesus is the Messiah. And for this reason, so let me give you just a little more icing on the cake so you'll understand it clearly. And that's why we see Jesus in Matthew, I believe it's 25, it's Matthew 25. He says that when the son of man returns, that is in when Jesus comes back from heaven to the earth, what did he say he will do? I will gather all nations before me and I will separate them and I will put on my right hand, the sheep on my left hand, the goat and the right hand are the Gentile, remember all the nations. This is a word that means Gentile people because the whole point is judgment for the Gentiles. That's what Jesus is talking about. And these are on the right hand of God, of Jesus. The, the sheep are the Gentiles. These are the saved Gentiles. On the left hand of Jesus, these are the unsaved Jesus, unsaved Gentiles. Remember what Jesus says to those who are on the right I'll tell them, come into my kingdom that was prepared for you. And he said, because, notice, he gives a reason why they are welcome. When I was hungry, when I was sick, when I was in prison, all of these things, you tried to take care of me. You were good to me. And then Jesus said, they will respond, Lord, when did we see you? We never saw you in particular. Jesus said, when you saw these, my brethren, the bre I understand that even Gentile Christians are brothers of Jesus. But in the context, what did I say? Context in Matthew. The context here are the Jews and the direct genetic, genetic brothers of Jesus are the Jewish people. Jesus is a Jew. Matthew chapter one, Jesus is son of David, son of Abraham. 
He's a physical descendant of Abraham and therefore the physical brethren genetic of Jesus are the Jews. And as we have been describing in chapter 12, the persecution of the Jews by the antichrist. So Gentiles who support the antichrist and we'll see that in chapter 13, many of them will, okay, receive the mark of the beast will also persecute the Jews. So as, as the antichrist is seeking to kill the Jews empowered by Satan, Gentiles who follow the antichrist and worship him as God. We'll see that too. Okay. They will be in league with the antichrist. These Gentiles who will be seeking to help him kill, locate and destroy all the Jews. So there'll be anti Jew. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Gentiles participating in seeking and trying to destroy all the Jews. And so Jesus says, Matthew 25, I gather those Gentiles and say to the ones, there will be certain Gentiles. And these are the saved Gentiles during that particular time who will try to help the Jews because they understand the Jews are the people of God and they don't want to see that this done to the Jewish people. Okay. And so they're going to try to help them. And so during this time, as they help them, when Jesus comes back to the earth, second advent, he says, you were good to the Jewish people and therefore enjoy the kingdom. They're not, they're not saved because of their works. It was their works that told you that they were saved. What did it do in particular? What was it? Those works in particular, they helped the Jewish people doing the worst travesty, the, the t worst time that the Jewish nation ever faced. And this was proof positive that these are saved Gentiles. And for this reason, Jesus tells them come and enjoy the messianic kingdom. But now he turns his attention to the unsaved, to the, goats on his left hand. And these are still Gentiles. And he says, now I was hungry. You didn't help me. I was naked in prison. You didn't do anything in the same sense that he told the ones on the right. And they said in the same way as the Gentiles on the right, we never saw you in particular this way. And Jesus says, my brethren, when you saw them in bad shape like that, you did nothing to help them whatsoever. And so these are the Gentiles who were with the antichrist, who were, who took the mark of the beast, who were helping the antichrist to seek and destroy the Jewish people who stood by, did nothing because they wanted it to happen. You got it. And so they were condemned by Jesus because of what they did when the tribulation was taking place. So because even as we look at Matthew 24 and Jesus is talking about the tribulation 25, remember he says immediately after those days, which means after the tribulation. So we're now, he's now referring to the Gentiles who participated with the destruction of the Jewish people. So that's the caveat that we have to kind of helps us to understand what took place in revelation chapter 12, what will be happening with the Jewish people during the time of the great tribulation.